there's a kind of misconception that testosterone is just about sex and getting muscles at the gym. And that's what most people tend to think of testosterone, at least most men tend to associate testosterone as. And yet it does so much more under the surface. So just like in women, testosterone in men, it gives us our, our drive and our want to do things in the day. It's that thing that wakes you up in the morning and goes, right, here's my get up and go, let's do things. Well, that's the voice of Dr. Jeff Foster, a men's health specialist and the medical director and founder of H3 Health. He is passionate not only about men's health, but about men and women understanding and supporting each other's experiences of ageing. I'm Liz Earle, and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all to have a better second half. And as ever, I'm on a mission to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Now, before we go any further, I want you to go and find the most important man in your life. Now, that might be your partner, maybe a son, your father, a trusted best friend, because I'd love for you to listen to this podcast together. And I don't mind if you need to pause and come back a bit later on. Because in celebration of Father's Day, I really want to talk about both the male experience of hormone deficiencies as they age, as well as how all of us understanding each other's bodies could lead to higher quality of life for everyone involved. I have to say, over the years, I've been so wrapped up in my own perimenopause, menopause, I haven't actually given a great deal of thought to the guys around me. So I am absolutely delighted to welcome Jeff back onto the show to talk about how declining hormones can trigger hot flushes, irritability, low sex drive, brain fog, of course, all of that in women, but also talk about how our experiences could just save our relationships. everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L. D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, Jeff... We recently had a fascinating episode about the development of the world's first testosterone patches. And I was thinking in particular about menopausal women, you know, so that we're up to speed on what testosterone can do for women. But what do men need to know about it as the age? Because, we, you know, we often think of testosterone as purely a male hormone. Testosterone is the main major male sex hormone. And I think it's had a lot of press coverage in terms of menopause and all the really important things it does to improve women's health. But of course, men need it in some sense even more because it's the thing that makes us a guy. It's the thing that determines through the start of puberty the things that will give you the secondary sexual characteristics that obviously make you masculine as you get older. 
and there's a kind of misconception that testosterone is just about sex and getting muscles at the gym and that's what most people tend to think of testosterone at least most men tend to associate testosterone as and yet it does so much more under the surface so just like in women testosterone in men it gives us our our drive and our want to do things in the day it's that thing that wakes you up in the morning and goes right here's my get up and go let's do things it's the thing okay. that alters your concentration and your thought process it does alter your mood but people imagine that having a high testosterone level makes you angry or aggressive but it isn't really the case it's more that low levels of testosterone make men very irritable and ratty and wow. um, un unsympathetic and from a, a cognitive perception, we know that low levels of testosterone also increase your risk of dementia, just like the concept of being menopausal and low estrogen. We see that low testosterone in men also has physical effects and it gives you that lack of energy if it starts to drop. We know that testosterone is essential for that, for that ability to gain muscle mass in the gym. And we often find that men, usually in their 40s, start to find that it's just a little bit harder to get that same effort in the gym and you start to lose a bit of muscle start to gain a bit of fat and you're thinking, but I put the same effort as I did five years ago. Nothing's changed. It is so frustrating. And, and for some guys, yeah, it is. It is just part of getting older. But we need to remember that 25% of all men have low testosterone at some point in their lives. We just don't know when Gosh. that will be. Now, we know that about 8 to 12% of men over 40 start to notice those symptoms. But if you think a quarter of all men are going to struggle with low testosterone at some point, we really do need to start thinking about how it affects men as a wider picture. Mm, that's really fascinating. And I'm thinking here that maybe the discussion generally around testosterone is going to help the guys as well as the women, because there's this ongoing debate, as you know, that at the moment, women can only really access testosterone. I mean, it's very difficult, but even if you do manage to, to get hold of it, it's really only recommended or advised for low libido. And the trials simply haven't been done, looking at cognitive function and muscle mass and brain development and dementia and all of that kind of thing. But as those studies do happen, and as there is this greater awareness showing that testosterone is not, as you say, all just about, you know, muscle building and manliness, that it has all these other roles, particularly to do with brain chemistry, you know, maybe that will actually help the guys as well, because it will move it from a realm of just being thought about in terms of, you know, getting buff in the gym. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a really odd scenario because if you were to take the comparison of testosterone maybe with thyroxin or insulin, you'd never have this debate. And it's just accepted that we must be thinking about checking thyroid levels as we get older because we know the levels are, are going to decline in men and women. But we don't automatically think of testosterone. And it's this idea that somehow it's normal, the normalization of aging. So we think, well, you're going to drop your testosterone, so why bother thinking about it? But <laughs> but we need, we really need to start differently. Yeah. I mean, two, three hundred years ago, you wouldn't make it past 40 or 50 at best. So, I mean, there's a really interesting scenario of the grandfather theory, a bit like the grandmother theory, the idea that you would have a almost male menopause-like picture whereby the testosterone levels drops. And of course, that makes you less sexually active and less likely to have a fight. So you can live on to be an old and grumpy, impotent grandfather. Interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, but I don't think many of us particularly want to live with somebody like that or have that, you know, that person around us. So what are the symptoms then of low testosterone? How can we tell if the guy we're perhaps sharing our life with in whichever way that happens to be, is one of the 25% with a low level. 
So classic symptoms usually start a little more subtly. And the first things that a guy might notice is he's just a bit more tired than he used to be. He might find that it's a bit harder to make those gains when he exercises. He might find that his body shape starts to change very slightly from somebody that was more muscle heavy and becomes slightly more fat heavy. And there's nothing that he's done differently for that scenario. He might find that sex drive starts to drop. And it's not as if it's you'll lose it completely, but you might find that you just don't have as much interest in your partner as you used to. As symptoms tend to worsen, as they get lower levels of testosterone, you then find that you start to see true erectile dysfunction can start to occur. You can start to see changes in your metabolic rate. So you have an increased risk of diabetes, an increased risk of heart problems and high cholesterol and blood pressure. And you get osteoporosis, just like women in terms of menopause. And it all starts to get worse and worse. And in severe cases, men can feel really depressed. We had one chap who was actually diagnosed with dementia. He was about 72. And it wasn't dementia. This was all a very low testosterone picture really which is a it's a very rare case but extremely interesting and it yeah. shows how these cognitive effects of hormones really affect the way we think i i think the other big thing to think about in terms of testosterone changes is that it isn't so much where often in menopause we have a more prescribed picture of where we think peri and menopause will occur and of course i appreciate there are always extremes on each end but for guys we don't know when it's going to happen so you naturally peak your testosterone as a guy at about 30 and you're probably going to lose about one percent a year as you get older but this varies from person to person and if you're very lucky you might have been born with a very high level and then you never notice a drop and on the other hand you may have other medical problems which could impact on it in which case you may start to get it in your early 30s And it's that difficulty of not knowing when you're going to get a problem and the fact it can be normalized as something for age, because of course, all of us in our 40s are less active than we were in our 20s and won't want to have sex as much as you did when you were 15. And of course, may not find (laughs) that you've got the same energy as you did. So it's normalized. But of course, for some guys, it's, it's not normal. And for a quarter of them, it's a medical problem we can do something about. Interesting you talk about age there and about picking it up in a guy who was 72. Is there an upper age limit? I mean, I know, for example, the NICE guidelines for menopause, they used to be in the old days, you know, lowest dose for the shortest time and not over the age of 16. I mean, that that has changed now. And now there's no upper age limit, although I know a lot of women do find difficulty over the age of 60 in accessing it. Are there testosterone prescribing guidelines? And, and is there a sort of a cutoff point where supposing a guy in his 80s, you know, was coming to see you? Would you say, I mean, you know, sorry, man, it's too late now. It's not going to do anything for you. Or can you prescribe it at any age? So there are no nice guidance on testosterone deficiency, but the British Society of Sexual Medicine is a cross-specialty group of doctors and psychologists, and they look at writing the National Guidance for Testosterone. There's is the most recent guidance published this year, and I would have to say it's the best, largely because I sit on the committee and help write them. So oh, we would say they're the best. <laughs> well done. But I think, yeah, joking aside, it's it's written by urologists and cardiologists and endocrinologists, and we all pitch in together, and we wrote what we feel is the best guidance. And in this case, there really should not be age as a reason to not give someone testosterone. You have to be much more cautious as you get older because other medical problems could get in the way and they could impact potentially on the fact you're stimulating the metabolism to work faster again. But as long as you're cautious, there's absolutely 
absolutely no reason. And again, I think we need to move away from this concept of saying, well, you've hit an a, a, an arbitrary age marker, therefore you're mm-hmm. now not eligible for therapy. Why is that I fair? Com- oh, I could not agree more with you. And, you know, these, these goalposts in a way are being moved further and further forward as we do live longer and we want that quality of life. We want our vitality, our cognitive function, our mobility, you know, all of that. Are there any health risks associated with too much testosterone do you get guys who you know become crazy aggressive in their behavior or you know slightly manic i mean do you do you see that at the other end of the scale guys who are producing too much the best way to think about testosterone is kind of like a gaussian curve of health and if you have too little testosterone all these bad things happen to your body like we said you know metabolic disease and diabetes and blood etc etc and if you have too much the same risks occur not exactly the same conditions but health risks start to occur and they increase risk of heart attack and enlargement of the heart and you can get changes in behavior and aggression so the idea is that you want to keep your testosterone in the middle zone and when i say middle zone this doesn't necessarily need to be age-related. So the evidence seems to be that if you keep your testosterone in a healthy level through your whole life, you decrease the risk of other problems. And that's really important. My, my oldest patient's 91 and he's on testosterone. I mean, he has a, a very nice lifestyle and has a velvet suit and definitely enjoys his time, but that's his choice. <laughs> and he's very Fantastic. healthy. He's been on it for it. decades now, way before really? I started. And he was one of the really? pioneers in taking this stuff. But the quality of life it's given him, and to be fair, the benefits in metabolic health, because his bones are not brittle anymore, and because he has other health benefits, it's been a game changer for this chap. So yeah, I don't think we should be thinking about age as a, as a reason to stop giving the stuff. And as long as you keep the levels monitored, and we need to be really careful because, of course, some guys do just go off their own bat and will take whatever they want to take, hoping it'll have the same effect, then it does run the risk. But the same applies for almost all medicines. You need to take them in a safe way. And presumably it is very safe because we're talking about a body identical hormone that occurs naturally within us. So, you know, a bit like replacing estrogen, you know, why would that be a problem? Because it's something that was there. We've grown up with it. We had more of it when we were younger. We don't have so much now, but in order to retain that youthful vitality, metabolic rate, etc., we'll just bring it back to previous levels. It, it's exactly that. And I think the key behind testosterone is that we do need to be thinking about what are those safe levels as we get older. There are important tests you would want to do prior to starting your patients on treatment and there are certain conditions such as active prostate cancer that you couldn't give testosterone to but testosterone itself does not cause prostate cancer it doesn't cause heart disease it's just making sure that before you start a patient on treatment that they don't have an existing condition that could be exacerbated by giving them something that's metabolically active. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is health protective benefits? You know, we're seeing, for example, an enormous number of studies showing the protective benefits of estrogen, particularly in terms of brain chemistry, you know, looking at dementia, Alzheimer's, for example, as you know, possibly neuroprotective. Are we going to see other studies? Are you aware of things that are going on at the moment showing that testosterone has a role in health protection? I think it's only a matter of time. There was a a really big study done, which came out actually in Nature about a year and a bit ago, called the T4DM study. And this looked at giving testosterone replacement therapy to type 2 diabetics with low testosterone, men, obviously. And we know that 50%, so half of all men with type 2 diabetes will suffer with low testosterone. 
So the trial basically said, if we get these men with low testosterone and they have symptoms, and you have to have symptoms to be fair at this point, because you don't know about all the protective values, but the study was done on men with low testosterone, symptoms of low testosterone and type two diabetes. And they did this over a couple of years and the study data was amazing. So it showed that you could actually stop treatment in a proportion of patients. And though, so they didn't need diabetic medicines anymore. And even the pre-diabetes ones got better. So these were compared with just lifestyle changes themselves, you just give them testosterone on top and all these metabolic markers start to improve. So if you can do that with diabetes, then perhaps there's a yeah. bigger question about, well, what about <laughs> the average guy who's just yeah. getting older? Could we have other protective factors? I, I, I think the data is probably on its way. And I think there is, to be fair, some decent evidence around the positive effects of testosterone, but it's had a bit of a negative connotation over the last years because of its enormous use in the States, where I think it's been overused in some people and been sold as a kind of panacea for all male health issues, because of course, not every guy is going to need it. It's working out the ones that actually have those low levels. Yeah. Well, I was interested, actually, in terms of looking at attitude towards this within the medical community. I hopped onto the NHS website, for example, before the podcast. And when you look at male menopause or andropause, it actually says this is, quote, an unhelpful term. And that although testosterone levels fall as men age, the decline is steady, as you've said before, about 1% a year from around the age of 30 or so. And, quote, it's unlikely to cause any problems in itself. You know, is that a fair analysis in, in your eyes? I, I guess there's two parts to my question here. One, the use of the term male menopause as an identifier, you know, is that is that helpful or not? And B, you know, this sweeping statement that a drop in testosterone is, quote, unlikely to cause any problems. I don't personally mind what, what we call it. I think the the technical term of male hypogonadism isn't particularly catchy. Male uh, hypogonadism. Hi, oh yeah, my hypogonadism. Goodness, that, so hypogonadism. If you said to a guy, yeah, you, you've got a nasty case of hypogonads, it doesn't go down well. <laughs> most most guys good, don't want it? that diagnosis. So it then no, went around. And when no, I, no, no. I did a, I was, I was lucky enough to do a this morning interview a couple of years ago and Philip Schofield is obsessed with the idea of could this be andropause do we call it male menopause do we call it menopause mm. what do we call it I could just imagine that conversation really <laughs> tricky <laughs> the technical term we've sort of settled on is testosterone deficiency and that's fine right. but from a media perspective it catches people's eye when you say andropause or you say male menopause and it's a comparison that a lot of people can understand so I think to simply say the term testosterone deficiency or male hypogonadism, whilst medically correct, doesn't give a great degree of understanding of what the condition might be. But if you can put that in terms of how it compares with menopause, suddenly everyone, even most ignorant blokes, will have a rough idea about what a menopausal symptom might be. In terms of the sweeping statement that testosterone has no effect, I think you only have to go back 10 years to the attitudes towards menopause. And I think you can see it's exactly the same. Now, obviously, I wouldn't be sitting writing national guidance on how important I think testosterone is if I felt it was a trivial hormone. But I think that all that happens is it's very difficult to get doctors to change the way they think about things. And certainly we're taught stuff in medical school and then junior doctor years, and that kind of becomes ingrained. And it's very hard to change a way a doctor thinks. And I say this in terms of my understanding of other medical issues, and I'm sure I'm just as ignorant in terms of other areas of medicine that I should be more open to, but certainly testosterone is incredibly difficult to start a process of different thought in doctors. So 
I think we're probably on a on a, a road to discovery, and we're starting to see changes. There was a, a recent committee I sat on in London looking at different ways to try and promote testosterone awareness around the UK, and some of the docs there were saying, well, maybe we should think about doing it through a politics or a political or perhaps an NHS awareness campaign. But I, I still strongly believe actually this needs to come from conversations like this. And I think yes. it's public pressure that really drives change in terms of medicine. So the more men that are aware of a problem, the more mm-hmm. doctors will be forced to become aware of a problem and then change occurs. <laughs> yeah, and I really think that's interesting. And in terms of getting hold of testosterone, can we make it ourselves can guys make it can we eat testosterone rich foods can we lift weights in the gym to produce our own within the body or is it something that we absolutely have to have as a medication or a replacement hormone that we apply as a gel or you know tablet or however we're going to take it Sure. Well, we naturally produce our testosterone from our testicles as a guy. And obviously, this is not in comparison to how the female process works. But as a man, we produce our testosterone through our testicles. And this has a negative feedback loop where your brain tells you how much you should secrete on a daily basis. And those levels go up and down on depending on other things you do. The big thing I always tell patients when we're looking at potentially low testosterone causes is that unfortunately, men's balls are very sensitive. And I mean this in the widest term, but they are Uh generally very sensitive to hormone influence. So it doesn't take much for this pathway to be impacted on in a negative way. So just for example, even mild medical conditions like asthma, chronic inflammatory things, blood pressure tablets, antidepressants, lots of painkillers, they all impact on your ability to produce testosterone. So it knocks it down a little bit. So the first Mm. thing we always say to people is, well, are are we doing anything to you that could be causing your testosterone to drop? And that's a really common problem. In terms of things you can do to flip it the other way, well, we know that the biggest contributing factor is body weight more than anything else. So Except for age, and there's not a lot I can do about that, really. So the next biggest contributor is is body weight. And ideally, you want to be between 10 and 15% body fat to maximize your natural testosterone production, which is harder than it sounds for a lot of the general population now, because we do seem to be getting slightly larger as a group. And most men often sit slightly above that 15% target. And does that also mean that being underweight could be an issue? Yes, exactly the same. And just as women will stop having periods when their body fat drops below, men will stop producing testosterone. One really interesting chat we had was a professional superbike champion, and he would race for half the year at an extremely low body fat, around 3 to 4%, because every percentage of body weight, so about a kilo's worth, would add about a second around the track. And of course, at international level, every second counts. So for this guy, he would deliberately downregulate his entire effectively homeostatic function. His testosterone would be through the floor for six months of the year and he'd feel awful, have no sex drive, had absolutely no muscle mass. And then of course he'd come off it or come off the training regime and go back to normal in six months. And he felt amazing, felt entirely back to normal. And his levels would return to normal. And once he got his body percentage, body weight back to normal, things would return and it would function okay. So remind me of those body weights again, where we want it. I'm just thinking I've got somebody in my family who is, you know, really borderline underweight as a male, very, very low body fat. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe this could be an issue for them. So it's about 10 to 15 percent is your optimal range. That's what you want, 10 to 15 percent of body fat. Okay. And you can get a very short term 
you can get away with it if you're a little bit below. So if you are, you know, really fit, young chap, you'll probably get away with it for a little while. But other compensatory proteins start to get in the way. And, and the best way to think about it from an evolutionary perspective is that you shouldn't be thinking about procreating or having sex if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, because that's energy that Gosh. should not be expended right. on sexual activity. It should be Isn't in your body conserving everything. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I, I love this conversation and the way it's going. Let's just pause here. We're going to come back shortly to talk about how men and women can better understand and support each other through all of this as we go through our various hormonal changes and more. everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, welcome back to the conversation. And I was really interested in the fact, Jeff, that you told me recently that around half of your male patients now attend your clinic because their wives or their partners told them to. And it commonly seems to be because they see the menopausal symptoms that they're suffering with in men. And I guess women are perhaps a bit more aware of what might be happening around the change for the men in their life. Yeah, it's a really, really common presenting opening statement of I'm here because my wife told me to come. (laughs) And I know we get that a lot in male health for men in general, but it really is applicable in terms of testosterone. Mm. I think the best way to think about it is it's all about this journey that you and your partner go on. And if you're both feeling terrible because one of you has menopause symptoms and the other one has low testosterone, then actually it's almost easier to be in that journey because neither of you want to go do things neither of you want to have sex and some of those difficult discussions are just able to push under the carpet or brush under the carpet sorry when one of the partners of course suddenly becomes very aware that this is a menopause issue and they start on hrt and a lot of their quality of life is massively improved suddenly that 
differences become Ooh. just far more stark. And that's yeah, where they kind of go, hang on a minute. start to notice. Yeah, whole, so, you know, I, I feel terrific. You know, what's going on with you? And, and can we do something to make it better? If you do have a guy that's in, you know, that comes to see you as a patient and, and you put them on testosterone, how quickly does it make a difference? And I know through my experience, through taking estrogen, I saw a difference literally within 24 hours because it, it enabled me to sleep through the night for the first time. Wow. How quickly does a guy see a difference? The slight difference in men is it tends to be on the severity of the condition. So most women who, of course, are being started on HRT have already had quite prolonged menopausal symptoms for a lot longer. So they often find that the benefits are far faster. For guys, it tends to be a much slower decline in the actual testosterone levels. So we usually say about two to three weeks, but even that's relatively quick. Mm, yeah. And do you get any side effects, you know, or beneficial side effects? I'm thinking of, you know, perhaps sprouting more chest hair or, or you know, does, does your male pattern baldness disappear? Are there any other benefits that we get as well as improved mood and, and maybe some of the health protection benefits? So the treatments themselves are generally well tolerated and it depends which clinic you go to because some of them will say, well, you must do this from age regime. You must have, I don't know, an injection of something every day or something, but actually there's no data to support this. The best treatment is the one that fits you and your lifestyle. And as long as you pick the right treatment, side effect profile is extremely small. Most men get on with it really well. We find that at about usually two to three weeks, they just feel like they have their old energy starting to come back. One of the biggest things that I didn't expect guys to talk about is the classic brain fog that we see in menopause, which Ooh. I thought was initially, yeah. I'm talking six, seven years now, but initially when I started doing this, I thought it was largely a, a purely female phenomenon associated with estrogen loss, but actually exactly the same thing happens. And we get a lot of guys who will come in, not because they have any sexual dysfunction at all, but just because they feel that their job's getting harder and harder and harder. And they come in and say, actually, I can, I can concentrate and I enjoy my job again, which is an amazing change. So Cognitively, really big benefits. Obviously, sex drive improves, and it should do, of course. The other thing men will often notice, which is something that a lot of them don't think about until they've actually noticed it's gone, is morning erections. So it's a really common thing, and it's normal in your teens and 20s to wake up daily with a morning erection because naturally that's when your testosterone levels surge in the morning, and then they gradually come down during the day. And then suddenly, of course, in your 40s and 50s, life has got in the way, other things get there, and you, and you suddenly realize you've not had them for a long time, and you should. Right. So the concept that, for example, if you had erectile dysfunction problems and you just take a Viagra and expect everything to be amazing, well, that's not going to work because penile function is just like any other muscle. And if you don't do it regularly, it's not going to work properly. So the morning erection process helps you retain function. So that's a massive thing we should think about. It's classic red flag. That is fascinating. Flag. Well, it's okay, classic red flag. So is that something to be aware of then as Definitely. a guy, for a guy listening to this, if you're thinking or, you know, you're talking to, you know, your, your other half and saying, hmm, you know, what's happening first thing in the morning? And if, if, if the guy is not having, waking up with an erection, that could be a sign that they are testosterone deficient. Definitely. Now, I don't mean it has to be every day. It shouldn't be like okay. when you're 15 and the wind changes, you get an erection. It's not like that. <laughs> I just mean that at least maybe two or three times a week, you should be waking up and it okay. should be there. And a lot of guys will kind of go, well, I woke up and I had an erection because I needed to pee. And we go, well, no, no, you, you woke up because you needed to pee. The erection was there anyway. And that's the key. And if you can't remember the last time you had one, then that's a definite sign that we need to be checking this out. Isn't that fascinating? And does that carry right on till the very end, till your dying day for a guy? I hope so. 
But I'm, I'm only in my mid-40s. I'll ask you another so 30, 40 years, 50 exactly. years, 60 yes. years. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Now, I actually read on Instagram, I think it was last year, about what men need to know about the menopause. And one of the comments that I read Uh, which I thought was very interesting. It says, men's instinct is often to fix things and realising that they don't need to fix all the problems and the symptoms of the menopause, but offer support and compassion and and a safe space. I guess that also holds true the other way around for here, is that as women, you know, we do like to fix things as well, but we need to be that safe space, don't we, for guys to open up and, and talk. Do you do you think that they're becoming better at it? Because historically, guys are not good, are they, about talking about their health? No. I think in terms of testosterone deficiency, it's very difficult because it is still surrounded by a stigma. And we have a few relatively well-known patients who have low testosterone levels. And when we said, do you think you might become almost an ambassador or talk about this in a more public uh, space, most of them have said, we can't really do that because it could affect my ability to get a job as a sort of lead male or somebody in this kind of role. And you can see how difficult, because from a menopause side, I think that some of this amazing stuff's been done in the last five, 10 years, whereby for I'm sure not for every woman, but for most women now, there isn't that degree of stigma of saying, well, actually, I'm starting to go through this process. And it's, it's good because you can actually go, look, you know what, I've seen whoever on TV, Davina's got it, Liz is talking about it. And I want to be recognized as I'm going through the same problem. We don't really have the same degree of understanding in men. No men go to the pub and sit with their mates and go, anybody else want to talk about their erectile dysfunction problems? Because it's a very quick way to lose friends. That How fascinating. Yeah, I guess, you know, guys don't seem to sit around and chat. And it's interesting talking about how things have changed. And, you know, I remember writing, you know, one of the first books on menopause kind of consumer guides eight years ago now, I think it was eight, nine years ago. And being really concerned about wanting to put the word menopause on the cover because I didn't want to be associated with that word. Yeah. You know, I, I felt that it was a really negative. It would damage potentially my career in terms of being thought of, you know, in terms of TV, you know, young enough and, and kind of attractive enough and vital enough to, to do all of this. So I can see that that for guys, nobody really wants to be the poster boy for low testosterone and all that that might imply you know not being very good in bed or capable or you know virile enough it's but i think that that has to change though surely i think it's starting to change i think men are starting to become more aware of their health and sometimes one of the ways we try and get around this is by not associating testosterone as just a sexual function drug if it's more about that sort of cognitive stuff that we discussed and, and the changes to physical health like muscles or obesity or type 2 diabetes and all those sorts of ways that we can actually say, look, you don't need to be embarrassed. It's, you could mention testosterone in terms of your risk of heart disease or your risk of diabetes. And then suddenly it doesn't have that same cachet of nervousness about confessing this to your friends in the pub. I think in many ways, male health always, it's, it's a bizarre thing because for most of medicine, men have been in charge for hundreds of years. And yet, despite that, we're not very good at looking after ourselves. So it's the bizarre scenario whereby now we have a situation where we are really, and I don't mean this in a bad way, we're focusing on uh, female health in a way that we were not doing 10 or 20 years ago. 
Um, and yet the guys are sitting back still going, yeah, that's pretty good stuff out there. We should probably think about that. But we don't do anything. So I think jumping on the bandwagon of menopause is a is a really important way for guys to start looking and going, well, actually, we need to think about our sex hormones as we get older. And what can we do to improve our health? One of the best patient advocates you've got is not necessarily the celebrity male who comes through, but just your wife or partner. And when you can yeah. see the change that they get through HRT, yes, you can think, wow. True. I'm going to get myself some of that. I mean, obviously not, not HRT because that might have real issues, but from a testosterone side, well, get that checked. Yeah, interesting. You know, you say that. And I remember reading studies during the sort of early stages of the pandemic when people were really concerned about the, you know, the severity of the original virus. And they were using estrogen patches on guys in intensive care because, of course, estrogen is part of our immune system. And just as testosterone is part of the complex of female hormones, so estrogen does actually play a role, doesn't it, within male health? Yes, definitely. You really need estrogen as a guy. Interestingly, the, the, the concept about estrogen in COVID, we now know that men with low levels of testosterone actually do less well if they were to contract COVID than men with normal levels. So it's another reason to say don't don't leave this sort of stuff. In terms of estrogen for guys, we naturally convert a small amount of our testosterone that we have to estrogen. And there's always this idea that, you know, men testosterone, women estrogen, and that's it. And of course, we now know from a female perspective that testosterone is really important. And so is estrogen in men. It's just the ratios that change. Without estrogen as a guy, you've got really bad concentration and mood changes. You you actually need estrogen to have a decent sex drive as a guy, which I think is a bit of a an unknown. Mm. And also mm-hmm. it's the thing that keeps your bones dense. So yep. weirdly, we sometimes see pro-steroid users, so bodybuilders who maybe are taking wrong sort of drugs and without a doctor supervision. And because they've got an enormous amount of testosterone, which is very unhealthy, they also take an anti-estrogen because of course they're converting estrogen and they end up with way too much and they can then end up growing breast tissue and various other complications. So they take an anti-estrogen to try and block that. But then the problem is their bones start to get more and more brittle. So you've got this enormously stacked guy with the bones of a 95-year-old osteoporotic woman, and it just doesn't match. These guys have terrible Isn't injuries. That fascinating. That is fascinating. And you know, you mentioned earlier about men producing testosterone in the testicles, which presumably is where the word comes from. And yet women produce more testosterone in our ovaries than we do either estrogen and guys are producing you know their own estrogen they're making it themselves because there is also this concern isn't there about the the foods that we eat or the the amount of hormones that we have in our drinking water through the contraceptive pill or the amount of growth hormone that's given to you know factory industrial produced chicken for example kind of changing the sex of guys and and you see these younger guys growing breasts because they've had too much estrogen or phytoestrogens in the diet what do you think about that? Do you, is that something that you've looked at at all? Yeah, I have. It's a very interesting and, and certainly a growing area of medicine. And it all fits with the, with the idea that we are spending or have historically spent far little or, far, or not certainly just not enough time looking at what we're putting in our bodies from a nutrition perspective. I think largely the difficulty in looking at estrogen levels in men is that the biggest contributing factor towards high estrogen in men is still obesity. And the trouble is, therefore, it actually makes the studies looking at what's a significant amount of estrogen in food very, very difficult to do. 
And for those reasons, it can be really hard. But from a basic perspective, we know that it's about what you're eating in terms of calorie intake, in terms of carbohydrate, in terms of protein that does affect your testosterone. So for example, the idea that as you get older, you need to simply reduce your carb intake and therefore you will have uh, less obesity and everything is great and simple is, is just, it's just not true. So we know that you need a decent amount of protein to produce testosterone, but it's not the fact that you need it to maintain your testosterone. It's the fact that, for example, over the age of about 40, you simply don't absorb protein as well when you eat it as you did when you're 30 and 20. So not only are we slightly metabolically less active, but you're not getting the same degree of nutrition out of the steak you ate 20 years ago. So you have to increase your protein intake just to get you to a point whereby you can maintain what you had. There's lots of uh, suggestions around supplements you can take to improve your testosterone levels like zinc and selenium, but largely these don't seem to be making much of a difference unless you're very, very deficient. What I would always say is the cornerstone to any decent natural testosterone optimization is just a very healthy mixed diet. And that's the key. And it doesn't need to be anything too fancy, but if you're able to to obtain a diet that does have a, a decent degree of protein in very minimal processed foods, and, and certainly by, I don't mean processed as in, I don't know, it's like a pie. I mean, ultra processed, so things yes. that are pushed that further nth yeah, degree. Now, these, exactly. <laughs> these clearly do have quite yes. deleterious effects on our natural testosterone production. But again, the difficulty in these scenarios is that most people that tend to have ultra processed foods in their diets don't often have a great lifestyle anyway. So having a fair comparison, you don't, you don't find a professional athlete who's eating terribly, but doing everything they can to maintain their health in every other aspect of their life. So it's, it's very, very difficult to get the decent data back. So if a guy is coming into you to see you, you would say basically make sure that you're eating sufficient protein high quality protein, you know, look at perhaps your trace minerals, your, you know, your zinc, your magnesium, all those kind of supporting selenium, the, the supporting act around that. And it's general good quality health advice. There's nothing, there's no one thing in particular that you would say, you, gosh, you must eat, you know, a dozen oysters every day. <laughs> no, no, I don't. that could be a really difficult diet to maintain. I think the, the big thing around testosterone health is that it, it's not... It's not sexy medicine. It's not. It's not a supplement industry, and the the. I think everything you've said is exactly right. The key we look for is a a core healthy diet with a range of different forms of proteins and a range of different forms of micronutrients and minerals. And on top of that, we make sure that you need to exercise around three to four times a week. It doesn't matter what type of exercise it is, as long as it's intense enough. So there was the idea that it should be weightlifting to get testosterone produced. And that's good for your bone density, but that's not the same as testosterone production. So for testosterone production, you just have to be doing something that's hard enough to get you either out of breath or that your muscles hurt or that you're exhausted afterwards. So it's enough to cause a metabolic stimulus and that will help produce testosterone. The other thing I was just going to mention really important is just sleep. Because I, I always hark, everyone cuts on about this. And it's, it's, I know it's a big thing that you talk about, but it, it's so underestimated in terms of the value of sleep in men. If you don't get four to six hours sleep, at least. So we're aiming for six to eight, but if you don't get four to six at least, you're not going to get a deep sleep pattern that allows you to have your testosterone surge. So your pituitary gland will only release enough trigger to tell your testicles to release testosterone if your sleep quality and duration has been good enough. So people that have 
really broken sleep. So it's a really good example is younger guys that have very young children who are often up at night with their kids. And for that short period, they find that their sex drive goes through the floor. And you often think, well, that's clearly because my wife just had a child and because I'm up all the time with this child. But actually, it's also as a, as a mechanism to say, well, if I can't guarantee that I can rest, I can't risk generating testosterone because that's going to use energy up. And you can't risk that you might not be able to get a decent night's sleep. You may not be able to get rest, et cetera, et cetera. So your body goes into kind of a safety mode again and doesn't produce the testosterone. That's fascinating. So you need at least four clear hours, do you? At least. That hormone, four to six hours. I do hope, Jeff, you're not saying this is a great excuse as to why the dads do not need to get up in the night because they need to be (laughs) producing their testosterone. I'm sure that the converse is also true, that women are not going to produce the oestrogen that they need, you know, to regulate mood swings unless they get their four to six hours as well. I I think we should use this as a kind of a joint thing. No one's... Everyone should be equally exhausted with their newborn children, I think is fair. Um, Staggering it. Staggering the night feeds. I I remember it well. And actually, in terms of talking about heightened levels of anxiety and mood swings and and sleepless nights, it is easy, isn't it? Kind of this is the last point, really, to, to become overwhelmed and angry. And then that person that you're going to take it out on is the person closest to you. So I guess these discussions making us more aware of all of this can just really be overall helpful in understanding what our other half is going through and and to help to defuse potentially a more explosive situation. I I think to help a partner understand whether it's menopause or testosterone deficiency is such an important thing in terms of keeping people together because when you're going through something that you often may not know why it's happening initially, can be really devastating and obviously I'm talking for both sexes here and it can be really a challenge for the partner who may not have the symptoms to understand what on earth they need to do in this scenario like you said before how do I support this person when they feel generally terrible one of the the big problems we get with guys is they say if they've got low testosterone and they haven't had it diagnosed obviously their libido goes down And this has a devastating effect on relationships because your partner will feel as if they're not wanted anymore. And it's a reflection on them. And you can say, well, no, but but they do love you, but they just don't have that desire because the hormones dropped. And and it can be really hard for someone to say, well, actually, I completely understand that. It's absolutely fine. Because, of course, life and relationships don't work like that. Mm. Absolutely. Jeff, it's fascinating to talk to you. I'm sure it's opened a lot of eyes and hopefully ears. And I hope that there are a lot of other halves listening to this as well as our regular, mostly female audience. Where can people go to find out a little bit more about you and your work or other resources? Uh, So our company is called H3 Health. So it's just h3health.co.uk. Or I'm entirely Googleable as myself, as Dr. Jeff Foster. And we have lots of information on our site and we provide information for patients. And I'm always very happy for anyone just to ping me an email if they've got a question or an Instagram message or whatever suits, because I think it, it's just about trying to help people out who might be really struggling. Yeah, that's really generous. Jeff, it's lovely to chat to you again. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Oh, brilliant stuff. Thank you very much for your time, Jeff. Wasn't that fascinating? I thought so. I can think of lots of guys, actually, that I would like to sit down with and listen to that episode again. Maybe one to stick on during a car journey. We don't actually have to look at each other. We can just absorb the information. 
Well, a couple of other episodes that might also be relevant after this chat. Firstly, we spoke to Dr. Sarah Hillman about the development of those testosterone patches not that long ago. And just a few weeks back, then the therapist James Earle, who is a brilliant contributor to the Lizard Wellbeing magazine, he was here, of course, talking about anger. And you can listen back to those episodes whenever you like. And of course, if you prefer to listen to your podcast completely ad-free, you can now subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts for a very small monthly fee and you get early access to all future episodes as well. Well, how do you navigate changing hormone levels with your partner? I'd love to know. Do come and chat. We are on Instagram at Lizelle Wellbeing and for me personally, I am at Lizelle Me and LizelleWellbeing.com is the place you want to go for for lots more menopause resources and it's also where you can sign up for the free weekly email newsletter okay until the next time we chat go very well bye-bye The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-N. L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.